0: We'll be in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 today. I'm going to read verses 21 through 31 one more time and I'll teach on verses 27 through 31. It's what we have left here in the fourth chapter. He says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things are illustrations. For the women represent the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not give birth. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise, but just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now but what does the Scripture say? Throw out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. What we have seen or been seeing so far in these verses is that Paul, he uses a historical account from Hebrew Scripture, from the book of Genesis. And he uses it as an allegory or an illustration. He's taking this history and he's pulling from it a deeper spiritual meaning. Paul sees in the story of Sarah and Hagar two types of people. Sarah, who birthed Isaac because of Yahweh's promise and supernatural work. Sarah represents people who are trusting in the promise of Yahweh by the Spirit. Hagar, who birthed Ishmael through normal natural process, she represents people who are trusting in the flesh, who are trying to accomplish something by the flesh. Paul is not doing away with the historical account. He's not saying that the actual history did not happen. He's simply saying there is a deeper spiritual meaning that we can get from this text. And you who want to be under the law, you who want to listen to the way that the law is being taught by the Judaizers... Don't you hear what the law says? Paul is a little bit sarcastic there. Don't you listen to what the law says? And then he goes back to this history in Genesis. So Paul was not teaching against any outward work of law, including circumcision. He wasn't teaching against those. Paul was teaching against using these outward works of law as a means of forgiveness for the Gentiles that were coming into the faith. This is the meaning of the allegory. Are the Gentiles coming into the faith, are they going to trust in the flesh and be like Hagar and Ishmael? Are they going to trust in the flesh for salvation or are they going to trust in Yahweh's promise for salvation and exemplify Sarah and Isaac? What's interesting here is that Paul uses Isaac, a man whom the Judahites would have promoted and confided in because of his genealogy, from Abraham. Paul uses Isaac, but he doesn't use Isaac for that reason. Paul doesn't use Isaac because he has genealogical ties to Abraham. Paul uses Isaac because Isaac came about because of the supernatural power of Yahweh. You remember back, I went through the history in the first sermon I taught on these verses how that Sarah had not conceived all the way up till she was 90 years old, and when Abraham heard, that she was going to conceive, he fell over because he laughed so hard. He fell to the ground. And then Sarah was eavesdropping in the tent. And she laughed and tried to deny it. Why did they laugh? Sarah said, I'm too old. I'm past the age of childbearing. And my Lord, Abraham, my husband, he's old. Abraham said, shall a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Shall 90-year-old Sarah get pregnant? Yahweh said, don't worry. It's possible with me. It's not possible with you. It's possible with me. So sons of Abraham, like Isaac, are not sons because they descend from a genealogy. That was the problem with the Judaizers. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They thought that just because they could show a link in their lineage to Abraham, that they were okay. John the Baptizer said, Don't think in yourselves to say we have Abraham as our father. Yahweh can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Sons of Abraham are those who are birthed supernaturally, like Isaac was, and those who trust and have faith like Abraham had faith. It's a sonship by characteristic. If you show the same characteristics as a being or a person, you're considered in the Scripture a son or an offspring or child of that person. These are the true descendants of Abraham. It is not about who you are or are not in the flesh. It's rather about who you are or are not in the spirit It's about where your faith is. It's about whether you are a faith-filled follower of Yahweh and His promises. So we come today to verse 27, where Paul continues talking about our mother Jerusalem, which is above. Remember, that's the new Jerusalem that John, we call him John the Revelator, he saw coming down in a vision, he saw it coming down out of heaven like a bride fixed up or adorned for her husband. And that New Jerusalem has been up there since Yahweh created it and founded it. Um, Some apocryphal works say that Yahweh showed it to Adam. And then He revealed it to Abraham when Abraham was asleep. When He had cut the animals in two and laid them on either side. Yahweh showed this New Jerusalem to Abraham. And then He showed it to Moses on Mount Sinai when He said, Make everything according to the pattern that I show you on the mountain. So the earthly Jerusalem, which was in bondage with her children, because it was a mess in the first century, all the chief priests and elders and scribes for the majority had rejected the, the chief cornerstone. They had rejected the Messiah. But the, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is our mother, Paul says, is the mother of us all, speaking of all of us believers in Christ. And he quotes a passage from Isaiah 54, verse 1 in Galatians four twenty seven. It says, Rejoice, O barren woman, who does not give birth. Break forth and shout... You who are not in labor. Let's stop there for a second. Why would a barren woman rejoice? I've listened to and I've talked to many married women who cannot get pregnant, even though they have tried and tried. They are not the type that rejoice. It's a sad thing for a woman to be barren and not able to experience pregnancy and childbirth and the joy of raising a child. So why does Paul say, Barren woman, rejoice? Rejoice. Break forth and shout. Well, if you look back to Isaiah 54, and I encourage you to do that in surrounding context, Isaiah 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, and 56, all really talking about a lot of the same thing. The original meaning has to do with Jerusalem being deserted and in shambles. And Jerusalem being deserted and forsaken... Because the house of Israel went to Assyrian captivity, the house of Judah went to Babylonian captivity, and the wild animals took over the land of Israel. So Jerusalem was forsaken, had nothing. And it's likened to a woman who is not conceiving. She's not bringing forth any children. Yet, in the midst of that, Yahweh promises that in spite of her forsakenness, things are going to turn around, and she'll be fruitful again, and she'll flourish again. So Paul sees in this Isaiah text a picture of old, barren Sarah. He even mentions, or Paul doesn't mention Sarah in the book of Isaiah, but Prophet Isaiah mentions Sarah in Isaiah 51 verse 2, just a few chapters before Isaiah 54. Paul sees a picture of Sarah here. Sarah who lived all the way to 90 without conceiving and bringing forth a child. Yet, Sarah who was barren for that long in her life... She did end up conceiving and bringing forth Isaac. Why? Because of the promise of Yahweh. Because of what Yahweh had promised. Not because she had the ability to conceive. And I want you to catch this. I talked about this in a a debate that I recently had about the virgin birth. How that all through Scripture we see miraculous births. And one of them is the birth of Isaac. Sarah would have never been able to conceive in the natural by her own strength, by her own power. She could not get pregnant. God. Yahweh had to intervene. Yeah. He promised a child will be born to you, Abraham, and not through the bondwoman or the slave woman, Hagar, but through the free woman. Sarah, she'll birth, Isaac. That's where your offspring will come from. So old barren Sarah is like old desolate Jerusalem in Isaiah 54. Mm-hmm. And both of these, this is where Paul links it together, both of these picture the nations who knew not Yahweh. The nations are mentioned in Isaiah 55 verse 5, as coming to the Israelites who are shining like a city set upon a hill when Yahweh brings them back and flourishes them. The nations are mentioned as flowing to the Israelites because of their service and righteousness to Almighty Yahweh. So when you looked at a region like Galatia, In the first century, you would have originally seen nothing but barrenness. Spiritual barrenness. A bunch of pagans. A bunch of heathens. Frolicking and worshipping their mighty ones. And all kind of immorality. And lawlessness. Just like all the other heathen nations in the world at that time. It was spiritually barren. But the barrenness would not last forever. Because through the preaching of men, like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Barnabas... The gospel of the kingdom, heavenly Jerusalem, would be proclaimed. And all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's the Abrahamic promise, the gospel preached to Abraham. By believing in Yeshua the Messiah. New spiritual life would be birthed in a barren, desolate location. So Paul says, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not give birth. And he continues by quoting the rest of Isaiah one and Galatians 4.27. And he says, for the children of the desolate are many more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Paul is saying here that the Gentiles are going to come to the Messiah in droves because of, because of the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham. That in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. And what he's talking about is the Messiah... My Messiah is going to come through you and all the families of the earth are going to be able to be blessed by faith in your descendant. And Abraham's seed is one seed. The believing Gentiles are children of Mother Jerusalem in heaven. She's the mother of us all. All of us believers in Christ. Both Jew and Greek and slave and free and male and female. We're all one. We're all equal in Christ. They're spiritual offspring. And Paul continues this by saying in verse 28, Now you brothers, he's talking to the Gentile Christians here of Galatia, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Any person who places faith in the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham becomes a child of the promise, just like Isaac. Not because, not because they're related to Isaac by blood, but because they were birthed supernaturally like Isaac was birthed supernaturally. Yahweh took a spiritually dead person with the Galatian Gentiles, spiritually dead people with no hope, without Yahweh in the world, uncircumcised, called the uncircumcision by those who are circumcised in the flesh. And He took those people and He gave them spiritual life like Cornelius, like Titus in Galatians chapter 2. And that is just like Yahweh took Sarah's dead womb "...with no hope, and he caused Sarah's womb to conceive." In verse 29 it says, "...but just then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now." What Paul is saying is that the Judaizers, the influencers in Galatia who were teaching that you have to become a Jew in order to be forgiven of your sins through proselyte conversion... The Judaizers were persecuting the Gentiles who would not receive their salvation by the flesh doctrine. Paul says that this persecution was just like the persecution back in Genesis, where Ishmael, the child born by the flesh, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the promise. Look at Genesis 21. I'm going to turn to Genesis 21. It's so exciting to me because for many years I would read this and 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 I would wonder what did Paul mean? What did Paul mean? And finally when I got around to looking at it and to studying it and to spending some time in it, it's just lit up like a, you know, big halogen light bulb. And I completely understand what Paul is saying now. So here in Genesis 21, this is what Paul's talking about. Look at Genesis 21. Let's read verses 1 through 9. It says that Yahweh came to Sarah as he had said and Yahweh did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time. Genesis 18:14, the angel says, at the appointed time you're going to get pregnant and conceive and bear forth a child. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac, Yitzhak means laughter. When his son Isaac was 8 days old, Abraham circumcised him as Elohim had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, Elohim has made me laugh. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So at first, she was laughing because she didn't believe. But now she's laughing because it really happened. And it's an excitement. It's a laughter. Thank Yahweh. Verse 8, The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking the one Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham. Ishmael, the son of Hagar, was mocking Isaac, the son of Sarah, the son of the promise. The child born by the flesh is mocking the child born by the spirit. Now, he's mocking him, not at his birth. He's mocking him, it looks like. There's a little bit of discrepancy when you look at some of the extra-biblical texts. I'll talk about that maybe here in a second. But It looks like in Genesis that he's mocking him at this weaning feast. Now, scholars and commentators of the Hebrew Bible, they see an inference in verses in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the Apocryphal writings that the Hebrew women usually would wean their children between the ages of 2 to 3 years old. It's likely that Isaac here is around 3 years old at the weaning feast, and that means that Ishmael when you look at Genesis 16:17 all the way to 21, Ishmael would have been about 17 years old on the on the cusp of being 17 years old because he was 13, Ishmael was 13, almost 14 when Yahweh gave the command To Abraham to be circumcised. You can read that in Genesis chapter 16. So what was Ishmael mocking Isaac about? It says in Genesis 21, she saw that the son of the slave woman was mocking her son. We're not specifically told about this in the book of Genesis. Nowhere in the scriptures. Paul sees a negative connotation on the mocking. The word mocking there in Genesis 21, nine actually is the word laughter. It's the same word used as when Sarah said, I'm laughing now because my child's been born. But the word can mean different things depending upon the context. Sometimes laughter is in a good connotation. Sometimes it's like they're laughing at somebody. And Paul sees it, Paul interprets it. He's an inspired commentary on Genesis. Paul interprets it as a, a bad laughter. It's a mocking, it's a sporting, it's a playing with, with Isaac. So we're not told in the scriptures why Ishmael was mocking Isaac. But there is an old midrash. The word midrash means like an ancient Hebrew commentary on the Bible. And it's about 1,500 plus years old. It's called Genesis Rabbah. And Genesis Rabbah, chapter 55, verse 4, says that Ishmael was taunting Isaac about circumcision. Isaac, or excuse me, Ishmael was saying, I'm more loved than you are. Because I had a choice in the matter being circumcised at 13 years old. You didn't have any choice. You were just eight days old. So I'm more loved because I had a choice. The Midrash goes on to say that Isaac, Isaac would be willing to cut off one of his limbs or give his life if he had been that age when Yahweh gave the command to be circumcised. So he kind of goes back there to, to Ishmael. So whatever the case was, some extra biblical texts say that Ishmael was performing some kind of idolatry, and there's something different in the book of Jasher, there's something different in the book of Jubilees. I tend to lean more towards what the the, uh, Midrash says, uh, Genesis Rabbah. But whatever the case was, Ishmael did something wrong towards Isaac because Paul says in verse 29, Galatians 4, but just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. So Paul sees the, the laughing and the mocking as persecution. And Paul uses this as an illustration to how the children of the flesh, the Judaizers, who believe that circumcision alone is what forgives their sin and what saves them uh, and gives them eternal life, they're mocking or persecuting the children born by the Spirit, like Cornelius. That is the uncircumcised but believing in the Messiah Gentiles. I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine a Judaizer trying to pressure a believing Gentile into being circumcised for salvation. A Gentile might respond by saying this, but look at Father Abraham. He was called and given promises in Genesis 12, some 24 years before he was ever circumcised. Can't I be given the promise in my uncircumcision too? The Judaizer retorts, No, we aren't back there anymore. And when Abraham was given the command to be circumcised, he obeyed. You need to obey too right now or you aren't really forgiven or saved from your sins. Mocking persecution. According to Paul, the Apostle Paul, the believing uncircumcised Gentiles had the correct reasoning. A Gentile, whether male or female, could be forgiven of all their sin without becoming a proselyte through the works of the law. Later on in life, a Gentile man may receive sign of circumcision. But he would do so for reasons other than being forgiven of his sin. Paul then writes in verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Throw out the slave and her son. Or as it's famous in the King James Version, cast out the bondwoman. Throw out the slave and her son for the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Paul here calls this scripture and he's quoting the words of an angry Sarah. Sarah is the one that says this in Genesis 21 verse 10. After she sees Ishmael mocking Isaac, she says, cast her out. Get rid of her. So, that was hard for Abraham to do. Yahweh told him, even though it was difficult for him to do, Yahweh said, listen to the voice of your wife, Sarah, for your seed will be traced through Isaac. And what I believe that Yahweh meant there, I don't even think that Abraham fully understood this, but I think that what Yahweh meant when he said, your seed will be traced through Isaac, I think he meant the Messiah will be born through the lineage of Isaac and not through Ishmael. So listen to Sarah and cast out the bondwoman. And Abraham did. Now he gave them some food, he gave them some water. You can read in Genesis 21, Yahweh protected Hagar, he protected Ishmael. Um, He made promises that princes would come from Ishmael and all of that. But Ishmael was not the child of the promise. Isaac was the child of the promise. So in the same way that Hagar and Ishmael were cast out of the house due to Ishmael's mocking of Isaac, Paul is casting out the Judaizers due to their mocking of the believing Gentiles. Now this shows us how serious it is not to add the works of the law to salvation outward works of law are great they're good and they're great if they're kept in their proper perspective but to hold up certain outward works of law certain identifiers in the law that identified the Israelites apart from the heathens like circumcision or the wearing of tassels or the feast days or the beard to hold up these laws as a means of forgiveness of sins that is degrading to the work of Yahweh that He's accomplished in and through His Son Yeshua. It is saying that Yeshua is not good enough and that Yahweh did not do a good enough work. So we have to add to that work in order to be saved. That's what the Judaizers were doing. So just as it is important that we keep and guard the law of Yahweh, it is also important that we keep and guard the Messiah of Yahweh. And that we teach against those who would lower the Messiah and raise a particular law as a means of forgiveness of sins. And we have to be careful here because we might do this sometimes without even realizing it. We may get someone, let's say we're witnessing to someone and we get them to stop eating pork. Or we get them to wear tassels. Or we get them to quit shaving. Men... Or we get them to be circumcised. Let's say that. And we think that we've done this mighty work in a person when the entire time all of those things can be done without the person ever being regenerate by the Holy Spirit. The entire time an individual might have never trusted in the promise that Yahweh gave to Abraham and to his seed, which is the Messiah. Now, I realize that sometimes us law keepers are misunderstood. I shouldn't say sometimes, I should say oftentimes. (laughs) Us law keepers are misunderstood. And we're falsely accused of placing the law up as a means of justification. But let's make sure that we're never rightly accused of that. I don't want to be cast out because I put more emphasis on a person obeying a certain outward work. Then I put on their need to trust in the work of Yahweh's Messiah. Amen. And brothers and sisters, I can't see this any other way that when Paul says in verse 30, Cast out the bondwoman," I think he's saying no salvation. I think he's saying you're not going to be in the kingdom. So teaching people about, teaching heathen people, teaching unbelievers about Yahweh's Messiah should be where we begin with, with them the law should be used but only as a tool to show the person their need for the Messiah. Remember the first use of the law is as a mirror to show you the dirt, to show you the sin. And when that person is pricked in their heart about what they need to do, at that point, we don't need to tell them to keep a law for their forgiveness, but we need to tell them to place faith in the Messiah for their forgiveness. To trust in the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham many years ago and you'll be... Forgiven, to be baptized into the Messiah. Uh, remember, baptism and faith are two sides of the same coin. In Galatians three twenty six, ba- baptism is not considered a work of law; it's considered a a showing forth of faith in the gospel. Yeah. Baptism is not something you do for Yahweh; it's something Yahweh does for you. Yes. So, Galatians three twenty six, I think it says, "For all you that have had faith in the Messiah have been baptized into the Messiah." Yeah. See? Those are the things that we should start them off on. And then, like in Acts 15, you know, where the Gentiles, they had to stop their most detestable practices. We may deal with people, unbelievers, on an individual basis on certain laws. You know, we may have to help somebody that's a drug addict off of drugs. That may be a first work of law they have to to come out of so that they won't be in drunkenness, which all those... Drugs fall under the category of drunkenness. Well, you're out of your mind. You do things that are wicked and evil. Where we may witness to somebody who is sexually immoral. And the first thing that we tell them after they place faith in the Messiah and they're baptized in the Messiah, we, we love them and we tell them we're thankful for them and we help them out of that sexually immoral lifestyle. We don't drop the whole 613 commandments down on them at one time. But Acts 15 does teach us that there are some things that you can start people out with. Then, as they come to church, as they come to the synagogue gathering, they'll listen and they'll learn over a period of time. And don't expect or try to push overnight growth, just push for slow and steady growth in an individual. So, this section in Galatians 4 has made me yet again reevaluate my witness. I'm so thankful that I can study the Bible. And it can make me reevaluate things. Instead of just trying to go to the Bible to make it say what I want it to say, sometimes it says what I don't understand and what I may not think it says. So I've reevaluated my witness again and I've asked myself, where is your emphasis, Matthew? When you're witnessing to the lost, where is your emphasis? My emphasis needs to be on the fact that a non believer has broken Yahweh's morality and they need to receive. Yahweh's Messiah. They need to receive Yahweh's salvation from their sins in order to be forgiven. And then they can learn and they can grow in the faith because look, apart from the Spirit's work in the heart, nobody's going to do any growing at all. You might have somebody sprout up a little bit but then they'll wither away. You might have somebody sprout up a little bit and then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke the word out. You might have somebody sprout up a little bit but then a crow comes down and Takes takes the, the plan away. It's the parable of the soils. See, might have these things happen, but there's no genuine regeneration. There's no heart work in that person. So this has made me reevaluate my witness. I love the law of Yahweh, but the law of Yahweh is not what saves a person. Right. Amen. Yahweh is what saves a person <laughs> by His grace and by His mercy. Yes. That's how He saves people by and through His promises. Unilateral, unconditional promises. If you just place faith in what I promised, you'll be forgiven. Salvation is a supernatural work of the Spirit. It's never a work of the flesh. There are works that we must do, but we cannot do them apart from Yahweh giving us a new mind, a new heart, and writing His law upon our, our inward parts. So let's keep things in the proper perspective. Let's not push Salvation by the flesh. Or it will be like Hagar and Ishmael. Oh, that's right. Salvation by the Spirit. You know, those of us, and this is not my notes, but those of us that believe in predestination, which I, I do, I believe in predestination, we should be the most gracious people on the planet. That's right. yeah. And the reason is, is because when we share the Gospel with people and they don't respond or they don't believe it, they shouldn't make us upset because we should just think it's not their time. Yahweh's not dealing with their heart. Right. We love them, we want it to be so. But we believe in predestination so we don't get all bent out of shape with folks. We should be the most loving and gracious people on the planet. Yeah. And when somebody doesn't receive the truth of the gospel, hey, maybe they will 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from then. Uh-huh. Maybe they will if it, be, if it be that they are chosen by Yahweh. So that's my message for tonight. And next week we'll start Galatians chapter 5 where Paul says if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. You can chew on that one for the rest of the week. I'll talk about that next week. Praise Yahweh. Who's doing testimonies tonight? Brother TJ? God, we bless you. Love everybody.